Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, disciple took her to his own home. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much for this community of grace and the community of Jesus that you are established here and that you're continued to just make us a, an instrument of peace and love in this neighborhood, in this city. God, may um, your word um, fall on us today. Uh, may everything I say, Lord, fall to the ground May your word uh, that is everlasting and has full authority uh, last forever. Um, so God, may you, um, we come before you. We, d- we just want to delight in you. Um, we want to give you our devotion today, Father. We want to give you our, uh, our heart's desire, our affections, Lord. So we ask, would you stir your people's affections today? Uh, would you stir our heart for one another? Would you stir our love for each other in this room? Um, may we learn to hold each other up with the uttermost dignity and love. Um, may we learn to listen to one another's stories well. Um, may we learn to um, cheer each other on, finding the best in each other and upholding it to the highest value. Because, God, you made us in your image, and you made us all lovely, and you love us. And so, um, if you would, um, would you mind uh, just taking a moment of silence? I'm not sure how busy your week's been, but would you just take a moment to ask God to speak to you today? Um, and just take a minute to do that. Well, Jesus, we love you, and uh, it's your time to do what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Uh, if you are new with us, welcome to Missio Day Lincoln Square. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's such an honor that you chose to worship with us. Uh, and uh, we are in the middle of a series called Outsiders, uh, which we are looking at during the season of Lent, as Reed mentioned, um, Jesus' journey to the cross. Um, and now today, we, we, we're looking at the amazing fact that everyone that Jesus speaks to, everyone that Jesus encounters is some form of an outsider in society. So we looked at uh, Simon of Cyrene, who's a cultural outsider who carries Jesus' cross. We looked at the thieves on the cross where Jesus said, today, you, to one of them that repents, you'll be with me in paradise. This person who, is, who we think is so morally outside from God's love that Jesus is, accepts him. Uh, we looked at the Roman centurion, who's this oppressive outsider, if you will, and also an outsider to the Jewish religion circle. Um, and if you go to this next slide, we looked at last week that um, 
as we look at the cross, it's important to note that um, we want to see what the cross accomplishes. Uh, it's important to note that there's a lot of theories and a lot of ways of looking at the cross, and it's such a beautiful thing. It's kind of like this, this going through these windows, if you will, this next slide, of the cross. You can't see because some of the light, but there's, I put a little cross in there, my PowerPoint skills, um, right there in the middle of this courtyard. But the cross is kind of this beautiful journey of gazing. I mean, imagine each one of these, these windows being like five years of just like personally encountering the mystery of the cross, whether it's how cross, the cross uh, accomplish, accomplishes and um, um, covers over our guilt and shame, or whether it accepts us, or whether it handles, um, the, 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 displays the power of God, or the love of God, or triumphs over Satan and his, his rule and reign, and Jesus rules and reigns. And so today, each one of these little stories really is just a different way of everybody encountering the cross um, in different ways and seeing the power of it. But, and each one is dealing with a specific problem that we have in our world and individuals and society. Um, today, we're kind of dealing with the problem of social isolation. Um, so today, we're looking at the fact that Jesus engages women at the cross um, these, there was these women at the cross who were the, the only disciples left at the cross. Um, and so this beautiful picture uh, that, that, that these are the faithful ones. These are the ones who stayed. All the disciples fled except John. John self-congratulates himself. And he's like, well, I was there. I was there. John, I got issues with John. We'll talk about that. Um, but um, in Jesus' time, women were held in low regard. Um, most of you know this, um, joy rain, was reigning. Oh, the birth of a boy, yay. Um, but the birth of a daughter in that time brought indifference and even sorrow, all right? Um, Jewish men would wake up every morning, and this was not a, um, it come, this is going to sound horrible. Um, it came from a genuine place of recognizing the privilege that they were given in the society norms. But they would wake up and pray, blessed be God that he has not made me a woman. All right, and so this was like the cultural like view of the time. Women were 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 were, were in a sense second class citizens. But what we're going to see is Jesus has a special concern in restoring dignity um, to women into a position of human dignity. Um, so every encounter with Jesus, never does Jesus ever, 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 in the midst of his encounters with Jesus, degrade them, humiliate them, shame them. Um, every encounter of Jesus is an encounter in which he lifts them up, upholds them, gives them honor, lets, gives them intimacy with him, and begins to restore their dignity. Every single encounter with a woman. Um, and so uh, these, this, these encounters are integral for what Jesus is doing in the new family of God that doesn't, he breaks complete social norms, is what Jesus is doing. There was purity codes of that time. Um, Jesus would have um, purity codes of all sorts. And we read the purity codes and we like clean hands and all those things making you unclean. We kind of balk at that, but we have our own purity codes, right? Um, whether it's like, um, you know, like, let me just, Jim Gaffigan, for instance, talks about McDonald's, the shame of McDonald's, right? There's a purity code around like carrying a bag of McDonald's, right? Is there not? But we all got our own McDonald's, he says, right? Maybe it's Us Weekly, maybe it's Glee, but it's still all McDonald's, he says. It's still all McDonald's. Um, it's anything that, like, feels good going down, but, like, a little embarrassed that, and shameful that you had it, you know? Um, so we all have our, pur- there's purity codes now, there's purity codes then, and when the purity codes then is, is for a religious person to be approached by a woman was completely against all social norms. 
Um, a woman could not approach a Jewish man. Um, the only women that would actually approach any man, men in that time were prostitutes. Um, and so here's Jesus reclining, dining with sinners, and here comes a prostitute woman who takes a year's worth of money wages made sleeping with men as a prostitute, takes that ointment, this jar that's worth a year's wages, breaks it over Jesus' feet and anoints his feet and washes his, his, his feet with her hair, all right? So you got to get the radical, inclusive nature of Jesus when he begins to let women get close to him intimately, and he completely is here to break all cultural norms because his kingdom is of a greater kingdom, amen? And so here's what, what we see here is um, we're going to get into this with Jesus, but we're going to really camp out at this passage where he talks to Mary, his mother. But before I do that, I just want to address a couple of like issues um, historically in the capital C church. Um, one, I want to just, some things that I just think are important to say out loud. Um, the church has put a misplaced emphasis on, on women as the highest calling being a wife and mother. And it is a tragedy to the church. It is a tragedy of what it means for, to be a woman, that your highest calling is to be a wife and mother. Those things are very important. Um, and very important. My wife's a stay-at-home mom. Uh, it's, it's very important for her role, but she is way more than just a stay-at-home mom. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tension that every women, woman feels. And what this does is it silences single women in the church and makes them feel like they've missed God's purposes if they've never gotten married. That you've somehow missed God's calling on your life or missed God's purpose on your life as a single guy or girl if you have not gotten married. And so we, we, we talk a lot about family, we talk a lot about kids, um, but Jesus never marries, Right? Jesus never had any children, all right? So if the Son of God, who's perfect and sinless and completely fulfills his redemptive potential, never got married or never had children, neither have you, ladies and guys, missed your human potential because you're not married. I just want to say that. Can, we, can the church say amen to that? All right, let's do it. The second thing, issue that we've missed in the church is that family is about me, my spouse, and my kids. Again, this just carries on. Um, we've, my wife and I have been so fortunate. When we planted this church, um, single people were just always in our home. Um, it was just amazing to, to see as a married couple with kids to always have single people coming in and out of our home, especially women. I mean, I remember um, Jacqueline Simpson was in our home when I found out my dad had a heart attack and died. I mean, she was right there. Um, I remember uh, other people always just coming in and out of our home. It's very important that as a church that we are a family of God that makes room for everybody in relationship. Um, and so um, it, not to mention the tension in the church women feel about, I could mention being a mom. Now from here on out when people ask, what does your wife do? I'm just going to say, well, uh, she is raising three homo, homo sapiens, can I say that word right? <laughs> Messed up my joke, homo sapiens into the dominant practices of Jesus Christ so that they can live into their eschatological potential as redeemed change agents forever in their destiny. That's what she's doing right now. Um, and so uh, Mother's Day is the hardest holiday of the year. Um, and every woman goes through Mother's Day in different ways. This shows that every woman is unique, every woman is different, every woman has different struggles. Um, often, too much, often feeling that they are too much and too little all at the same time. Number three, another issue in just atrocity of the church is the lack of women's voice and presence at the leadership table. Uh, this is huge for us at Missio Day. Um, and now, just a little insight if you're new with us, we've been on a journey of 18 months of studying women in ministry. I will say this, that this is a community of difference. 
you don't see churches like this, people, where we can have people who disagree on what it means for in terms of like where can women be pastors, can women not. Um, this is a community that has different beliefs, and it doesn't break our fellowship. It doesn't break our fellowship because the issue with Jesus is way deeper than those uh, little categories that we create. The issue of Jesus is way deeper than that. It's how he rechanges the way we orient one another where we're not leveraging our authority and we're not striving and grasping for equality, but we're here to love one another with love and humility and grace. And so Jesus comes and says, and the thing I would want to say to the church is no matter where you stand on this position, if you are not out seeking, if your gospel doesn't cause you to make a, a, a place to elevate the vulnerable, to begin to make a stand for the vulnerable, to begin to stand for those who've been oppressed historically, you've got a wrong gospel. I don't care what you believe, you better rethink the gospel of Jesus Christ, because if your view of women and theology of women doesn't cause you to make a stand for women in the world, then you need to rethink your gospel, no matter what your view is on women in ministry. And so the church history has been filled with such uh, male chauvinistic uh, misogyny. Um, most embarrassing is like the Reformation era. A guy named John Knox basically just, I ain't even going to repeat what he said, um, but he just wrote some horrible things about women. Um, and there's been a lot of male um, uh, dominance in church history, and that's the error, and we've got to get back to the biblical standard of seeing women have a place, that have a voice. So women at Missio Dei, you have a voice here. You have a presence at the leadership table. Um, and Jesus has this uttermost concern to restore women to dignity. Um, he t- he, a high number of references to women in the Gospels, um, which is very unique for his time. Um, you got uh, the women who, woman who is hemorrhaging from uh, 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 hemorrhaging of blood. He calls her daughter. Uh, he's got the widow of Nain and who he, he heals. He, he upholds women as a faith model for us to follow. And this is in a culture where women were neither seen nor heard. And Jesus presented them as a model for us faith listeners who frequently heard the teachings about women as corrupting influences to be shunned and disdained. But Jesus uses women as an example to emulate because of their faith. The woman who finds the lost coin, the persistent widow that doesn't stop praying, the poor widow's offering that just gives a little bit of a, a, a barely a penny, and he says that's generosity. Men were only allowed to be disciples of a rabbi. If a rabbi was saying, hey, come follow me, a woman couldn't come follow a rabbi. But Jesus leaves room for women to come follow in the dust of the rabbi, um, to get close to him and intimate with him and breaks all norms. This would have been a big time offense. This would have been seen as contamination. Um, first, it's just a, an affront to, to, to the norms at the time. All right. Um, and so uh, women, are, it, it, the beautiful thing here I want to see today is women are the disciples who remain faithful at the cross. They're the ones, because here's why, they got nothing to lose, right? They got nothing to lose in their society. They are there. They know exactly what it's like to go through suffering. They know exactly what it's like to be on the margins. So they have nothing to lose. So they are there. The disciples of Jesus that are women are the ones who are faithful. All 11 disciples flee from Jesus um, at the time of the cross, out of fear of being executed themselves. And so Jesus is clashing with the culture. He's open his relationships with women. He relies on them for their support. Like he's, he's, he, he, he provide, he, he, his providers financially are females. Um, and, and so he came as a king that is not of this world. Now, when we look at the crucifixion, um, the, the thing that we see here, and uh, go to the slide with the Bible up, 
uh, the Bible passages up, all four Gospels share about women that are there at the cross. Uh, you can't really see that, so, um, but basically you got, you got, let me just read them to you, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of James and, and uh, Hoses, Mary's sister, you got John's mother, you got Salome, and then you've got of course, John congratulates himself. I was there too. Um, so what I want to do for the rest of the message is I want to really dig into Jesus' only words to a woman at the cross is his words to Mary, his mother. Um, so John 19, 26, uh, Kelly read, uh, then he said to the disciples at the cross, um, he's there, and he, he says to John, hey, John, take care of your mother. And then and he says to Mary, Mary, take care of your son. Look into John. Now, I want to uh, give credit where credit's due. A friend of mine named Tal Prince uh, preached this message. I've never heard this message preached. He preached at a Good Friday service at 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham where there was a bombing years ago. Um, but he preached this, and it, was, it stood out to me. And I just want Tal Prince, if you're listening to the podcast, thank you very much, brother. A lot of these thoughts are yours. I just want to give you credit. Um, so um, he asked some really good questions uh, in this passage, and he, he, he asked some really great questions. The first one, um, Jesus says, remember, woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. Why does John wait right here, right now, to say to do this? Why does Jesus wait to the cross to tell John, the disciple, behold Mary and take care of her? He had all his life to do this. The cross was not a surprise to the disciples. He told them over and over again, I'm going to die. And yet he never told the disciples to take care of my mother. When He, he had all the opportunity to do this. Why here? Why now? Why, why would he wait for so long? And this also, it, 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 he's being, um, to one degree, he's, he's even obeying at the point of the cross, which is amazing. He's, he's taking, he's, He's taking care of his mother and honoring her and fulfilling the law even at the very hour of his death. It's so crazy. But these words are so significant. And on the surface, it looks like he's just saying, provide for my mom. But why? Why this? And, and it strikes me as so anticlimactic for me. Um, you, you, the previous passages, you got like, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that will preach. Um, you've got... Uh, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. Hey, John, take care of your mother. Right? It's like, really, like this, this is the crescendo of the cross. This is like the, the, the only words he says after this is, 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 I thirst and it is finished. That's it. These are the last act. This is the last act of Jesus. And it strikes me as anticlimactic. And, and again, I, I got, we, John is uh, somebody I got issues with. Um, when we preach on Easter, if anybody preaches out of the Gospel of John, John's going to throw a little footnote in there and say, oh, by the way, we were running to the tomb, and I outran Peter. He's like, well, we don't need to know that, John. We don't need to know that you got in a foot race with Peter and outran him. Um, he was always, <laughs> he was always, congrat- he was always like, I'm better than Peter. After the resurrection, he's like, Who, who's going to, uh, what about me? Don't be talking about Peter. What about, what am I going to be doing, Jesus? And so John is kind of like a self-righteous punk. Um, and the reason why I don't like John is because John reminds me of myself, right? He reminds me of myself. I want the attention. I want the glory. And so John's complex and he's got issues, and we all do. Um, but So the cultural thing, the thing that we would have all expected Jesus to do right here is to do the, the norm, is, to, is give Mary to his half-brother James. 
That's the normal thing to do, was to be to give Mary to his half-brother James. Why doesn't he do that? No one would have expected this. Mary expected Jesus to, give, uh, uh, to be taken care of by James, but Jesus breaks all these norms. And he says, I'm changing the cultural norms. I'm not going to function with the earthly system, but with the kingdom of God. And so um, I want to just zoom in on Mary for a minute. We don't like to talk about Mary a whole lot in non-Catholic churches because we're scared it's going to sound a little too Catholic, but we need to talk about Mary. (laughs) Mary's amazing. We need to talk a lot about Mary. It's all right to talk about Mary. Mary's incredible. She is a woman of obedience. And so let's let's talk about Mary. The first thing we hear about Mary is she, back in the Gospel of Luke, she's met by an angel, Gabriel. It says, greetings, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You found favor with God? You think she felt favor in this moment? Here she is about to, her son is dying on the cross. This is the one that she, um, that took care of, the one she nursed, the one she burped, the one she changed, whatever kind of diaper methods they had back then. This is the one that she took care of and held closely and looked down upon as she nursed and, and, and comforted. And now her son is looking down on her helpless. And you think that she feels the favor of God? This is what Elizabeth says to her, uh, says to her in Luke chapter 1, that you're blessed among woman, a woman. You're blessed among women. And so Mary is a mother that looks up at her son, and it's the same Jesus that, used to, that she used to look down at to nurture, and now he's hanging helpless. And the promise that she would have favor with God is now seeing her own son die on the cross. And nothing hurts a a mother like seeing your own kid go through suffering. And she is going through the worst of worst pains. She doesn't feel God's favor, I bet, right now. And so later on, I wonder if she even remembers her own words. She sang that my soul magnifies the Lord, right? I I rejoice in God my Savior, the great Magnificat. Simeon says uh, these, these words to her. That, that uh, prophesying about the child that's going to be born and, and even says that a sword will pierce through your own soul. Now she's probably feeling that one. And so here's Mary, the mother of God, and she is suffering. Now the next time we see Mary in the Gospels is at the, the wedding, the great um, wedding miracle, right? And um, do you remember what she says? Uh, the, they ran out of wine. Um, she knows that Jesus has some kind of divine um, ability, that he does miracles. And so she does what every one of our mothers has done but to us before. She gives him the stare, and she goes, you do whatever I ask you to. She says, go make the wine. And he goes, my hour hasn't come. And, um, and then she says to the servant, says, do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. He's going to do it. And so she is a mother who is here, um, and now we don't see Mary again. We don't see Mary again. We know later on that uh, here that um, otherwise, we, we know that sometime Joseph uh, passed away. Otherwise, he wouldn't have this need to take care of Mary. And so Mary is a widow of some sort. And she's a single mother raising Jesus and, and Jesus' half-siblings. And so I can't imagine how many times she questioned God at these times. Then later, Jesus is out performing signs and miracles, doing wonders, and she's left at home by herself, and she's uh, trying to raise her other, other sons. And um, Jesus calls a man in Luke 9 and says this, I need a, he says, come follow me, and the guy says, I need a minute to bury my father. And Jesus says, let the, let the dead bury their dead, and if you want to come follow me, come follow me. You're like, what? That sounds really intense, Jesus. 
to say, he can't even go bury his dad? What are you doing here, Jesus? What is going on? Seems really harsh. Um, And so uh, now Mary begins to hear reports of Jesus, and then she goes after Jesus. She probably is thinking Jesus has gone crazy. I think she's going probably to bring him home, tell him to cool off. Um, And she uh, can't get to him because of the crowds. And the crowds say, hey, your mother and your brother are here. Your mother and your brother are here. And and he goes, who's my mother and my brother? (laughs) Are you serious, Jesus? Your mother Mary is here. And he goes, who is my mother and my brother? He goes, it's anybody who does the will of the Father is my mother and my brother and my sister. And he keeps doing ministry. Can you imagine how Mary would have felt? What is Jesus doing? Why is he doing this? Why is he saying that that, that in, in this way? That would have been whoever does the will of my father is my mother and my sister. In Jewish culture, family is everything. Everything. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, I come to set man against his mother and father, and a person's enemies will be that of their own household. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And in Jewish day, to this day, if a family member leaves for another religion, they would probably say, this person's dead to me. If they're part of an Orthodox Jewish religion, they they would say, this person's dead to me to leave the faith. Jesus comes right into the fabric of family. And he comes right to, this is very significant, what, and, and he does this with John's mother standing right there to say, Mary, uh, John, behold your mother. Mary's, uh, John's mom is standing right there, and he's like, behold your mother. He's like, Mary's, I mean, John's mom's probably like, what? Like, I'm his mother. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is saying that the family of God supersedes the biological family. And Jesus is including those on the margins into the family of God, women, lepers, those on the, on the margins, because the family of God, he elevates it above the biological family. Now, he's not destroying our biological family, but he's elevating the supernatural, the spiritual family over that kind of family. And so this is why Jesus doesn't follow the norms. He sees the, the dysfunction of his family. And, he, and if Jesus, by the way, side note, if Jesus' family is dysfunctional, your family is dysfunctional too, all right? Because he was sinless and he was the son of God. So every single one of us in the room has a dysfunctional family. If, your fam- if you're like, my family's not dysfunctional, you need to talk to your parents. Just get a little deeper, all right? <laughs> James doesn't follow God. This is why Jesus doesn't give Mary to James, because James isn't a Christian yet. He's not following Jesus. He thinks Jesus is crazy. James isn't at the cross. So he's breaking all cultural norms because the spiritual family of God, he's inaugurating a family of God is what he's doing. He's creating the church on the cross. That's good news. Acts 1 doesn't create, isn't where the church began. Acts 2 isn't where the church began. The church begins right here when he says, John, take, after, take care of your mother because she's now your new mother. And make no mistake, he is deconstructing family so he can reorient it. He is deconstructing family so he can rebuild it on the cross. He elevates spiritual family over biological family. Jesus establishes not only the kingdom of God, but the family of God. This is a family of God that we become family through the blood of the cross. And Jesus is not obliterating the importance of family, but he's elevating spiritual family over it. Now, in Mark 10, there's this passage um, put it on the screen. It says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time 
houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands. With persecution, you might want to remember that one, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So when did we receive a hundred mothers and sisters and children? Right here in the church. These are our brothers and sisters and mothers and family. This is where we experience the family of God. And he's giving a great gift at the cross. He's bringing those who are socially isolated into a family that's completely different than society, society's family. And, and he says basically that like if you're, those who left truly everything behind to follow Jesus, he's saying you're going to have a support system and it's going to be the family of God. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. This is, he, why else would he wait until the cross to do this? If he was just trying to help Mary out, why would he wait until the cross to do this? Why would he give Mary to John and not his brother James? Now, um, as we keep moving forward, don't believe the lie, the cultural lie, that we're all children of God. I don't care how many times Oprah says it, not every person is the child of God, all right? Uh, John, I love Oprah, but we're not, not everybody's a child of God. What does the Bible say in the scriptures? John 1, it says, all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. It is when you surrender to Jesus that you become an adopted child of God. just want to make that clear. And he says, only those who surrender to Christ can become adopted into this family. Now, we are all children of God in the fact that we were created by him, but only those who believe in him become a part of this spiritual family. And the only way to become children of God is through the blood of Jesus. And this family is one we can lean in and get support from. And so this is the beautiful fact that this is what makes us family. John would take take care of Mary. And this beautiful thing, he says, now Mary... I want you to behold your son. What Jesus is doing is this beautiful thing. He's making Mary the mother of this new church. He's making Jesus, this is so amazing, guys. He's making Mary the mother of the church. It's incredible. She's the matriarch of the church. And he's, he's creating, Mary Magdalene is there. These other disciples are there. They become the nucleus of the first church. And I love this. This is fascinating. James, the half-brother, He's not there at the moment, but we know he comes around later because we get the letter of James, and he writes, faith without works is dead. So you need faith, but you need works to follow. And here stands Mary, and she's looking up at her son, who's looking down at her, the same son that she used to hold in her arms. And even when he looks most helpless, he's still taking care of her. And Mary will tell you today that even though you, when you feel helpless, Jesus is still taking care of you. He's taking care of every one of your needs. He, so you can cast your cares upon him. Cast your cares upon him, church. And so he will do this through the family of God. And so Jesus wants to take care of us as well. Now, um, just a couple of things I want to just point out, and then I'm going to close. Um, three things for us, Missio Dei, um, through this passage, uh, what we see for us. Number one. We, what we learn from these women is we, we need to become a community of devotion. Community of devotion. To see these women stand with Jesus at the cross is amazing because they had nothing to lose. They had nothing to lose. And these women were the ones who were the first ones to see the resurrection of Jesus. The first ones. So I think what Jesus does is those who have nothing to lose, he gives them um, a, a sense of a, 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 the first fruits of the kingdom of God. They get to see the first of the resurrection. They get to see the, the first fruits of the resurrection. And what God wants to do for us is give every single one of us the gift of nothing to lose. 
that we would live in this world as if we have nothing to lose and take risks for God's kingdom because we have nothing to lose, that we would stand by Jesus no matter what because we have nothing to lose. We'd be willing to go through the persecution that would come because we have nothing to lose as God's daughters and sons in the church. And so we must be a community of devotion like these women, Miss Yoday. Um, women, you, you, uh, we, we want you to lead us in being a community of devotion. We want your voice to be heard. We want your presence to be known. We want your ideas to be shared and implemented. We want you to be leading out in this way. And so um, we, uh, we see that these women were hungry. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? Because God gives first fruits to those who are hungry for God. Those who are receptive to see the power of God, those are the ones that God gives the gift of receiving and being filled. Are you hungry? Are you, are you, do you have nothing to lose? Second, um, I think this beautiful picture of Mary um, teaches us something, just like being called into the being, mothering this church. Um, is just something I've been pondering a lot lately, is, bless you, um, is like, what does it mean to be a fountainhead of blessing? So many times we're so stressed in life, we're so anxious, we're so exhausted that every anxiety, it just ends up, love can't flow out of anxiety. It can't. I remember one time, um, this was like, I used to share this with like a lot of college students. I remember one time we went hiking, um, trying to get to this waterfall. And I was going through, and I was trying to find the waterfall, and I, was, I started to get dark, and I started getting anxious. Like I, and my, I passed this old couple, and I was like, where are you going? They're like, we're going to the waterfall. I was like, okay, I'm going too. And I just started going everywhere. I was like, I got to get to the waterfall. I got to get to the waterfall. I'm looking for the signs. And then, like, it's, it's almost pitch black. I get to the waterfall, and there's that lovely couple just sitting there enjoying the waterfall. And I'm like, <laughs> I just went in circles because of my anxiety. I couldn't love because of my anxiety. I couldn't receive because of my anxiety. And Jesus says, I want you to be like Mary. I want you to be a, a, a caretaker of the church. I want you to be a fountainhead of blessing. What is it? I love what Teresa of Avila says, that like at the end of life, all of human maturity is to ask this question, how can I help? How can I help? That's what I want my life to be, is one poured out and just say, how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you? What does it mean for you, Miss Day, woman, man, to be fountainhood of blessing in the church, a fountainhood of blessing in the community, um, to see like Mary, who is the, uh, the matriarch of the church. Um, I love this book called uh, When the Church Was a Family. It's so critical here to just see the call to the family of God. Um, he writes about um, just this, this sense of, of, of when we think about Christianity, we're such in our individual lenses. Read, listen to this. He says, um, long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay also grow. People who leave do not grow. I'm not talking about one church, but people who leave the community of God and don't stay rooted. He says, we all know people who are consumed with spiritual wonderlust, but we never get to know them very well because they cannot seem to stay put. They move along from church to church, ever searching for a congregation that will better satisfy their needs. Like trees repeatedly transplanted from soil to soil, these spiritual nomads fail to put down roots and seldom experience lasting and fruitful growth in their Christian life. 
We need to be this community of devotion that is a fountainhead of blessing. He says this, he continues, they call it radical individualism. What this amounts is simple enough. We in America have been socialized to believe that our dreams, our goals, our personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group, our church or our family, for example, to which we belong. The immediate needs of the individual are more important than the long-term health of the group. So we leave and withdraw rather than stay and grow up when the going gets rough in the church or in the home. And so just like the women of the cross, when the going gets rough, we stay, we put down roots, we press through conflict, we talk, we communicate, we forgive, we reconcile, we love, we bear one another's burdens, we hold one another up, we love each other, we give honor to one another, we carry each other's anxieties, we cast our anxieties upon each other through Jesus and the power of the Spirit, we share meals together, we pray with one another. This is what it means to be the family of God. This is critical. C.S. Lewis said there's no such thing as an individual in the New Testament. Every letter is written to a church. And so I just want to call you to what does it look like to, 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 to commit to other people in the church and in relationship. And lastly, I just want to say this, that I think as we talk about women, I think there's a lot of um, just loneliness for, for, for women in particular, an added layer, if you will, that's different from, from men, if I may be so bold to say. Um, I think loneliness in marriages, I think there's loneliness in those who want to be married. And I think there's, there's loneliness in both, and I think that, that what Jesus shows here is just this, like, you need to see that if, if Jesus is taking care of his mother at, the death of his, uh, at his very death, he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for every one of your needs. He's going to meet your needs. He's going to be the one who's going to satisfy your soul. And he's going to be the one who's going to, to be there and saying, look, like, I'm here for you. Cast your cares upon me. That's what, that's what he says in, in, in 1 Peter. He says, cast your cares upon me. And so, church, may you cast your cares upon Jesus today. May you come before him casting all of your anxieties on him so you can be a fountainhead of blessing for the family of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, may we um, come before you, um, and Christine's going to come up and lead us through communion. Before we start settling on your chairs, I know sometimes it's easy to just think, oh, this is what we do next in service. This is, okay, let's just kind of move on, ready to go home. I just need you to pause for a second. I need you to see the care of Jesus. I need you to experience his love and care right now for you. He loves you so deeply that at the foot of the cross, he created a community for you. So that you can have support no matter what comes your way. And he wants you to cast all your cares upon him right now all your anxieties upon him and hear him say woman behold your savior behold your church you're so loved you're right where you're supposed to be man in this church behold your savior behold your church you're right where you're supposed to be so as we take communion and worship and pray I pray that you would just um, for the Spirit to comfort you, to 
the God of all comfort, the same God that comforted Mary while he hung helpless on the cross, is here to comfort you. So that you could be a fountain of blessing, to be a voice in the church, and be empowered through his spirit. God, would you do this? Would you do this by the power of your spirit? Would you create a family that is far greater than our biological families? May you provide a family for all of us. In the 